It is really good to see you all. Welcome to everybody online. Um, actually been gone a few weeks. So it's really great to be back uh, in the midst of our church community. Uh, last time I spoke about a month ago, I'd mentioned that uh, my father-in-law, Andres' dad, had been hospitalized. Um, fortunately, sadly, he did end up passing away a couple weeks ago, and so we've really been immersed in that over the last number of weeks. And uh, so missing him a lot and just walking through all those different stages and things. I know a number of you've been through that with aging parents or, or different things. And so uh, just so, so grateful, um, not only for the opportunity to have uh, some really good time with him in those final weeks, but also, uh, man, the love and the support of community. I don't know how people do stuff like this um, without church family, you know, and so thank you for that. And uh, it's really wonderful to be able to be uh, together. Um, this morning, really excited about what I get a chance to talk with you about. Um, looking forward to diving into our next little bit of the book of Colossians. Over the summer, the, with the discipleship focus, one of the things that we're doing is we're doing this sermon series that's titled Jesus Bring Us to Life. It's this prayer of like, Jesus, you are the one that can really do this. Show us how that actually works. As we explore what the Apostle Paul wrote to these first century Christian, Christians, we're looking for insights about how we can put that into practice how we can live full and vibrant lives as followers of Jesus uh, today. And so here's where we find ourselves in the book of Colossians so far. Apparently there were false teachers that were circulating around the time, uh, and they were putting forward various ways to find this fullness of life. It was almost like a little slogan that was going around during the day. These teachers were persuasive, um, and it was finding that their influence was taking root in some of the lives of these early Christians. And so one of the big reasons that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, he didn't uh, plant this church, he had never met these people, but he wanted to be able to give them some instruction, even some warning um, about some of these things that were going on. He wanted them to be able to recognize the difference between the paths that look like they'll lead to life, but really don't, and contrast that with the real path of life uh, that is found in Jesus Christ. Okay, so go ahead and look at another section of um, this section of Colossians 2. John actually touched on this uh, last weekend. Uh, let's look back starting in verse 6. Paul writes, he says, So then, just as you have received, just you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to, that, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. What Paul's saying here is that what we're looking for, what they were looking for, this idea of fullness, this goal of fullness, that's really good, but where you're tempted to look for it is a bit off base. It says the renowned theologian, Admiral Akbar, said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it's a trap, right? It's a trap. Been waiting all week to tell that joke. Yes, yes, it's a trap. Okay, so this morning, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to look at how it's easy for us to fall into traps. 
fall into spiritual traps that look like they're going to lead us to life, but they actually don't. And how instead we can look to the real source of life that is Jesus. In the end, Jesus is the only path to real life. It's in Christ that we find this fullness that we're looking for. So how do we notice, how do we avoid some of those spiritual traps, and how instead do we continually ground ourselves in Christ? That's what we're going to talk about um, today. So we're going to continue on a little bit later in Colossians 2. We're going to start in verse 16. You can find that on page 805. If you want to grab a Bible here, maybe turn to that on your device. Let me pray for us. God, thanks again for a chance to be together today. God, thanks for the body of Christ, God, our local body, the larger body of Christ. Um, God, how uh, it is such a blessing to point one another to the things that matter most. And God, ultimately, that is you. Jesus, that is you. And so we just fix our eyes on you today, Jesus. Um, Would you be our life, our source of life? Pour into us in a really supernatural, special way today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, picking up verse 16, Paul continues. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Uh, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Why, as though as you've still belonged to the world, do you submit to these rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, they're all based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but... They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, we'll stop there. Uh, 2,000 years ago, again, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the Colossians to warn them. One of the big things was to warn them of some of these spiritual traps that they could easily fall into. Now, we're a little bit distanced from that. You know, while some of the practical examples of what that looked like for them all those years ago might be something different than it is for us today. The truth is that these traps are still as present in the 21st century uh, as they were back in the first. Okay, and so here's the first trap that we see in Colossians chapter 2. It's the trap of legalism. We think that perfectly following the rules will bring us to life, but it can't. Paul begins this section in verse 16 by saying, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to uh, religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. 
In the first century, a main source of legalism came from uh, these known as the Judaizers. These Judaizers, they were zealous Jews that were intent on everyone, even non-Jewish people, keeping up with their cultural and their religious uh, demands. Uh, If you think back to uh, the gospel stories and some of the interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees, uh, the Judaizers were kind of like the next descendants of that. They were actually people that had come to some level of faith in Christ, but they were kind of adding on or fixating on some of these elements of the Jewish law as what was somewhat most important. And so, you know, they had detailed regulations about which foods you could eat and how you could eat them, rules about how to wash your hands and, you know, what you could touch. Uh, They had rules about which days were holy and, and particularly special and what you should do on those days. And again, so much of their focus was on uh, these external signs of religiosity. Now, you know, you and I, we may not be um, uh, invested in some of the elaborate rules about hand washing. It's good to wash your hands, you know, <laughs> but, you know, we may not do that in a religious way, um, you know, or about particular religious festivals or holy days. But friends, we can have a similar list in our minds by which we measure ourselves uh, and others. Now, just think back into my own journey. Um, I, I can remember seeing this come up in a number of different ways. I grew up in northwest Iowa, and um, in the midst of the background of my small town uh, traditional church that I grew up going to, had a bunch of really great things uh, about that. Um, but also there were some elements where we could kind of trend towards a little bit of this legalism. Um, you know, there was the right way to do community communion. There was the right way to light the candles. There was the right way to walk through a particular service. And I was one of those, um, I was an acolyte where I'd light the candles. And so it was like the different things you had to bow in a particular way. And, you know, it was just like this whole system that like had a lot of pressure to it, you know? And so, you know, that was a lot of what I internalized as a young person. Um, It's interesting, then as I got into my young adult years, um, I shifted to more of a contemporary setting for church, and um, I found it was just as easy to take pride in definitively non-religious religious environments in the same way as I took pride in religious religious environments. I mean, it's like, how sneaky is this, you know? And can look back on my own life of how it's complete, two different completely contexts, but the same kind of pattern of brokenness ended up working itself even in my own life. You know, these traps where I latch on to these secondary items that we can think are so, so important. Okay, and so again, here's what I found. In our brokenness, it is easy for us to make secondary items into the main thing. Uh, We can major on the minors. We can get fixated on things that actually aren't the main point. And that's what we want to have an eye for. You know, what are some of the ways that we can take good things and make them into ultimate things? Or what are the ways that we can use secondary items as a means of measuring ourselves or others. That's a lot of what's rooted in this whole trap of legalism. It's a system. It's a way of evaluating ourselves and others and having something that actually isn't quite as important. It's not like it's unimportant, but we raise it to a higher level that it was never meant to be. 
You know, take something as foundational as the Bible. Um, man, the Bible is great. I read the Bible almost every single day. It has so much wisdom for you and I to glean. Um, but what's the purpose uh, of the scriptures? Um, one of the illustrations I've loved through the years this comes from um, early vineyard leader John Wimber, and uh, he would describe this. Uh, he would use this illustration. Imagine going to your favorite restaurant, and you sit down, uh, and the server hands you a menu. You know, this is a great menu. The menu, it's got detailed descriptions of the different entrees, um, and you just, you take time to study them, maybe even memorize some of the information. There's photos of the different desserts, and you just look at those with awe and wonder. Then after an hour at your table, you hand the menu back to the server, you say thank you, and you go back to your car. Is that what you're supposed to do in a restaurant? No, the point of the menu is so that you can be able to actually enjoy the reason that you're there. You know, it's the same way with the scriptures. The point of the scriptures is to help us to get to know the God that is behind it. You know, you know even Jesus said to the Pharisees, you look and you see, think like in this is where you're going to find life. He says, it's in me. It's in me that you're going to find life. It's so, so important. But it's meant to point us to something even more prominent. And that's the person of Jesus, that we can be able to find our hope and our help uh, in him. Here's another example. Um, some of you parents that are uh, in the midst of raising uh, particularly younger kids, uh, you likely have some rules around your house, right? You got some rules. Um, rules are good. Rules are really beneficial, but they aren't, or at least they shouldn't be, the point of the relationship with your kids. They're meant to enhance and protect that relationship that we have, to help them to grow and to help them to flourish into all that they're meant to be and help us to do life uh, together. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. There's a number of instructions that God gives us. You know, number of things that we see in the scriptures that it just goes for wise living. But if we fixate on those as being the ultimate point, we're missing the point. <laughs> All of those things are meant to point us towards this God, towards this relationship, towards this flourishing of life that we find in our connection with him. But again, it can be so easy to let secondary items become the main thing. Okay, so again, thinking back to the first century Christians, it seems that some of them had bought into the lie, if I just follow the law, if we just do this, if we just get others to obey these rules sufficiently, then that's going to lead to this fullness of life that we long for. I love how the writer Hebrews really confronts this thought um, head on. Hebrews 10.1 says this, the law, it's only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And just echoes what we saw Paul write in, in uh, Colossians 2, 17. He says, these are a shadow. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality is found where? The reality, however, is in Christ. So friends, if we're searching for fullness of life, following the rules perfectly isn't going to get us there. The reality, the fullness, what we're searching for, it's found in Christ. 
Here's another thing about legalism. Uh, it often has an edge of judgmentalism to it. And so I want to encourage us, you know, warn us, watch out for using external markers as a means of judgment. And don't fixate on secondary items as primary ways to assess something, someone's value. It's just really prevalent. As I mentioned in my own story, you maybe see this in uh, just different contexts, that, that this, this fixation on these secondary items can lead to this judgmentalism in us. And so as we get to the end of this first point, here's a question to consider. You think about your life. Who are you most prone to harshly judge? Who in your mind makes it into that category of people that you just kind of like set aside. You know, maybe whatever your list is, so what makes a good person and a bad person, an acceptable person, a non-acceptable person, who are those folks that you tend to judge in that way? Yet similar to the Colossians or my earlier stories, your tendency towards legalism um, and judgment may have a religious basis to it. So you can get attached to external religious markers as a way to divide up between the good people and the bad people, people that have value or those that have less. But legalism isn't just a religious problem. It's a human problem. And so it's interesting to see how some of these same elements can crop up in wider society about the uh, right kind of car to drive, or where to buy your groceries, or, you know, we engage. Remember this when I was, uh, we were raising our kids, like these mommy and daddy wars about, like, how to raise your kids. And so super invested in the right way to do this, and tons of judgment uh, about that, you know. And so for you, again, what are the people, who are the people that you are most prone to judge? And what would it be like to just turn from that? You know, it can be difficult, but it's super helpful to consider who uniquely gets under your skin and why, and then to turn to Jesus with that knowledge and just say, Jesus, what is it? What is it about my strong reaction to them that actually says something about me? And maybe that I'm focusing in on something that's actually secondary rather than primer. So friends, whatever form it takes, legalism is a trap. It will never bring us to fullness of life. Really, only Christ can do that. Okay, let's move on to our second trap that we notice here in the passage. It's the trap of hyper-spirituality. Uh, we see this most notably in verse 18 where Paul writes, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Another pitfall that some of the Colossians were slipping into was this hyper-spirituality, this super-spirituality. They were influenced by teachers who went into great detail about these lofty experiences. They're fascinated by angelic beings, uh, puffed up by their understanding of themselves, even though they presented uh, this aura of, of humility. I think similarly, we can get, and we can get in this spot where we think that hyped up spiritual experiences, particularly like just continuing to ratchet that up, is the way to find fullness of life. We get stuck on pursuing esoteric knowledge that we think that will unlock the future. But again, if, if those things aren't rooted in the person of Christ, and they are drawing us to grow steadily in Him, 
They can end up being more of a trap than they actually are helpful tools. You know, through the years, uh, I've noticed a number of folks getting really enamored, um, always looking for the next big thing, whether it's the next big conference, the next big, like, celebrity preacher, the, uh, you know, next experience, or this climactic event somewhere in the future where, like, just placing their hope on that of, like, this one thing that's going to be the breakthrough. Now, I'm all for breakthroughs. I'm all for seeing God come in. Like, we're doing this, this class of learning to pray like Jesus, but it's like, when it has that element of kind of like continuing to be hyped up, I think that's where we can fall into more of this trap. It's rather than helpful um, in being, uh, helping us to grow in Christ. And just like with legalism, there's often this edge of judgment um, that can come with this pitfall of super hyper-spirituality. Um, it's easy to fall into spiritual elitism. One con- commentator described it this way. He said, they pretend to have found the way into this higher plane of spiritual experience as though they've been initiated into sacred mysteries which give them an infinite advantage over the uninitiated. It's like people set up these different tiers of Christians, you know, where you rank depends on how serious you are in particular things. So, you know, unless you've fasted for 40 days, you're really not serious about your faith. Or unless you've had this vision or this powerful dream, then you're way down in these spiritual rankings. Another one that I've heard through the years, um, you know, a number of folks have heard, like, unless you speak in tongues, like, maybe you're not really a Christian, you know? So it's like these different systems that we have that, that we can, again, make secondary or make primary things that actually are, uh, are secondary. Again, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Like, things like fasting, that's amazing, you know? Or am I knocking spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues? No, I think speaking in tongues is great. Um, You know, I'm all for those things, and I've benefited from some pretty powerful spiritual experiences through my life myself. But here's where it often gets off track. When these practices um, become pitfalls is when we force our own experiences on others, particularly in this area of superiority, and where we disqualify maybe those that haven't had some of those same things and thinking that they're less than. That's one angle that we can go or it can actually go in the other direction, where we can fall into the trap of condemning ourselves, thinking that we don't have the same value as someone else. Similar thing, like it can happen with legalism. We can be judgmental towards other people. Sometimes the harshest person that we end up judging is ourselves. <laughs> we end up putting ourselves, you know, on the witness stand and just continually prosecuting ourselves and just beating ourselves down. Friends, that is not the path of life. I think that's why the Apostle Paul is so intentional about pointing the Colossians, pointing us back to this priority of being grounded in Christ where we're rooted in our identity as Jesus, that we're trusting him as our savior. We're following him as our Lord and king. And so along those lines, Paul warns us, watch out for drifting in your connection to Christ and to community. Look again at how he describes these folks slipping into the trap of hyper-spirituality. Verse 19, he says, they've lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and its sinews. It grows as God 
causes us to grow. So this is a warning. Paul's saying this is what can happen if you fall, you slip into that spiritual trap. One of the things that we can do is we apply scripture to our life. We can take a warning like this and actually turn it into a positive application. So rather than losing connection, what he's pointing us towards, what I want to encourage us towards is stay connected. Stay connected to the head. That's Jesus. Stay connected to his body, the church. And you'll find that those connections will help support you, they'll hold you together, and they'll help you um, to grow Tell you a quick story. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Um, I've got a number of small groups that I lead and, and um, help support here um, at our church. And just yesterday, uh, I was finishing up one of my men's groups. And just think about it. here's this group of guys. We're in each other's lives. We're pointing one another to Jesus. We're supporting each other, encouraging each other to grow in our connection with Christ. It's exactly what Paul's pointing us towards as the opposite of this warning. It's like stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to one another. That's where you're going to find that support. That's where you're going to find uh, that growth. You know, even yesterday as I began that hour together, um, I was actually feeling pretty weary and discouraged. But I found like after our time there, after I was being able to converse with these guys, praying with one another, I finished that hour just feeling really lifted and like being able to keep my eyes on Jesus in uh, a more focused way. So environments like small groups, I mean, that's just one uh, avenue to prioritize your connection to Christ and to others. Um, settings like this, like we're doing this morning in corporate worship, this is another big one. You know, it reminds us that we're not the center of the universe that Jesus is. And it's a chance to recalibrate our lives around Christ, you know, and to remember that we're actually all in this uh, together. And so, you know, that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to do this together to build one another up. We're not trying to one-up one each other, trying to prove that we're more spiritual than somebody else. And we're trying to live and learn what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. That's what we're really after uh, as we pursue this life together um, as a church. Okay, so we talked about trap of legalism, some of the ways that that can um, shift us in this place where we take secondary items and make them primary, where we can express judgment towards other people or maybe turn that inward towards ourselves. We can see how it's uh, easy to fall into the trap of hyper-spirituality. Uh, this is the third trap that Paul highlights here in this passage. It's a trap of what we might call extreme asceticism. Uh, look again at verses 20 and 21. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't touch, do not, or do not taste, do not touch. And so what we find, again, is that some of the Colossians had adopted uh, some patterns of life that were increasingly about abstaining from material and physical things. Uh, they were thinking that this was the way to fullness of life, was through these extreme expressions uh, of self-denial. Uh, theologian F.F. F. Bruce describes it this way. Uh, he says that the acceptance of these prohibitions looks really good. It makes favorable impressions on many people, 
and suggests that you've attained this high plane of wisdom. You see some of the commonalities between these? High, this high plane of wisdom from which you can despise uh, the material world. There's something very special about that. I had to look that word up. Um, it basically means looks good, but ultimately lacks merit. Something special about all of this voluntary piety, this self-abasement, this harsh treatment of the body. But does it get it anywhere? Let me assure you that it does not. The acceptance of all these excessive restriction is of no account when it comes to our real struggle against sin. This ties closely with the first chapter of legalism, especially with their elaborate rules about eating and drinking and being separate from others in marking of religious ceremonies. And so it's another example where you can take a good thing and um, take it too far or misapply it. And so with this trap, it's easy for abstaining to go from healthy, which can be a good thing, to actually unhealthy. Let me say a little more of that. Like practices of self-denial can be incredibly beneficial for us. You know, so think about practices like fasting or simplicity, even engaging in practices like silence and solitude all can be amazingly beneficial. I, you know, in my own life, there have been things that have helped to build up my spiritual life. It can be avenues for freedom for us where we strategically give our focus uh, towards Christ. But if we, we can take those two in extreme, they can actually, we can actually become more enslaved by them versus growing in freedom. We can think, if a little bit of abstaining is good, then a whole lot of abstaining must be even better. Okay, that was a little bit of the thought of what was going on with the Colossians and what we can fall into. Because so we can think we can kind of uh, control this and manipulate this towards the life that we are hoping for. So take the desire to live for God and being conformed to the values of this world. And that was one of the things that was important to the Colossians. You know, and through the years even, some Christians have come to believe that they needed to like completely separate themselves, cloister themselves away, you know, from all the other humans in order that that was the only way that they could actually achieve holiness. They could actually really get close uh, to God. Now, you may not be tempted to go join some monastery far off, you know, in some remote area, but friends, we can fall into some of these same ideas, like settling into a little Christian bubble where the only people that we relate with are the folks that think and act and do all the same things that we do. You know, we can, can, can get in these places where, uh, you know, it's, 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 we're, um, we're, we're just cloistered away just in a different fashion. Or maybe consider food, which is mentioned several times in this passage. Food is a major fixation for many people today. And we might turn to food when we're feeling depressed and kind of looking at that as a place of comfort. Or on the other hand, maybe like something like the goal of losing weight can lead to unhealthy patterns of not eating or maybe even eating disorders. Or the desire to eat right or eat right foods can turn into this massive obsession. Whatever the scenario, if food becomes a primary focal point for you, it actually can become enslaving rather than helpful. Similarly, uh, severe bodily discipline comes up in this passage. Again, historically, there's examples of Christians that were literally beating on their bodies um, in hopes that they would just become more holy. 
Um, again, probably not one of the things that we struggle with as much, but sometimes you even wonder like, if our fixation on body image isn't too far removed from even this trapping. Where we buy into the lie, if I can just get my outward appearance where I want it, then actually I can feel whole on the inside. Do you see how like, these things, like there's maybe some different examples from 2,000 years ago, but we can fall into some of the same patterns in our own lives. We can get fixated on stuff that isn't actually the main point and think that we can just squeeze life out of it. But Paul warns us. He says, that's not where you're going to find it. That's not where you're going to find it. Expression like these become basis as well for judging others and condemning ourselves. We look to these outer markers as what determines our value, and we measure the values of others uh, in a similar way. And so here's a final warning. Watch out. Watch out for a focus on externals, external performance, maybe even, rather than seeking genuine internal life change. Friends, this is what we're after. We want to be transformed from the inside out. We want to look more like Jesus. We want to love more like Jesus. We want to be free like Jesus was. But so often we get stuck looking for that quality of life in all the wrong places. Listen again to how Colossians 2 ends. It says, these rules may seem wise. They look good because they require strong devotion pious self-denial, all these different things. Like, oh, that's what a really, really strong, good Christian looks like. Severe bodily discipline. But to provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. As Paul points out, beating ourselves up through extreme asceticism doesn't actually help us find freedom. It doesn't work. <laughs> For that matter, neither does legalism. Neither does kind of hyped up super spirituality, you know? They're all dead ends. They're not pathways to life ultimately. Here's what I've found. We cannot, we can't strong arm our way into fullness of life. Take that in. We can't strong arm. We can't just, you know, push this through. Friends, what we need is an ongoing experience of God's grace. God's grace is what we need. God's power is what we need. God can do in us and for us what we can't do for ourselves. But so often for us, particularly for folks from the upper Midwest, to be able to really latch on to this. I mean, we're really comfortable at earning things. We often really stink <laughs> at receiving gifts. And you see how the impact that has on our relationship with God. If we are continually coming to God and saying, God, God, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to do really, really good at this. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be super spiritual. I'm just going to be the number one Christian where I'm going to like deny, deny, deny. I'm going to abstain from all these things in hopes that I can fix my life and feel good about myself and get you to the place where you can love me and where I can feel great and know that others think I'm great too. You see how this just spins in so many different ways? Maybe it's not that specific for you, but it can be really subtle as well. We fall into these traps and we make something that's not the main point, the main point. Each of these traps that we're talking about today have a common thread. 
legalism, hyper-spirituality, unhealthy asceticism. It's this main, uh, this, this common thread of control. They're all attempts to externally control ourselves, our environments, and others in hopes that we can make our lives work and hope that we can find fullness of life. But grace is completely different than that. Grace is something we can't earn, we can't buy it, we can't barter for it. All we can do is just receive God's grace as a gift. So close, I want you to look at um, what Paul writes in Colossians 2.13. He says, you were dead because of your sins. That's our state. Like, we have no hope. <laughs> we can't, like, get ourselves going again. But, but then God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave all your sins. Verse 14 goes on to say that Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. That is God's grace towards us. The work of Jesus on the cross is what bridges this gap between us being all by ourselves, being able to connect with the power of God to experience forgiveness and freedom and transformation. Again, friends, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's love, our efforts to try and strong-arm our way into real life, they aren't going to work. But so often that's where we go, and that's why Paul, and I'll, even I'm warning us of saying, like, don't fall into these traps. Those aren't going to work. But here's what it does. When you position yourself under the endless spigot of God's grace, that's where the transformation really begins. And Jesus does for us, he does in us what we could never accomplish on our own. What does that transformation practically look like? That's what we're going to dive into more next week. Um, as we shift over into Colossians 3, it's this beautiful picture of therefore, because Christ has done all these things on your behalf, this is what that can mean in your life. So we continue on this series, as we continue to dig in, uh, to growing as disciples of Jesus. I encourage you, uh, let's continue to look at this and receive all that God has. We've covered a lot already this morning, and so let's turn to God and see what he has for us today. Why don't you go ahead and stand up, and I'd love to pray for us. So position our hearts. I'm going to just read uh, verses 6 and 7 from Colossians 2 again. Paul writes, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to follow him. Let your roots go down in him. Let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. God, we just come to you this morning and God, we say this is what we want. God, we don't want to uh, just so easily slip into some of the traps that have been through all the years, God, that we can find in uh, our day and age in various ways as well. God, we just express our desire. We want to experience real life by being rooted in you, being grounded in you, growing in you, finding our connection 
in you. God, that is ultimately where we find this fullness of life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just help us to recognize, just even in our own lives, God, are there places that we're going that we're trying to strong-arm life where it was never meant to bring us life? God, help us maybe to see some of the secondary items that we're pushing up to be ultimate. God, would you give us awareness of just our interactions with other people? God, even our propensity to judge others, what that might even just say about us. Yeah, it's come, Holy Spirit. Come, God. Yeah, we just say, God, we want to find life in you. We just ask for your help to do that. If you're on our prayer ministry team, if you want to start to make your way up, uh, that'd be great. Um, and uh, we're going to finish up the service by um, continued worship. Um, and also by um, offering to pray for one another. And um, there's certainly a number of things that you might be able to respond to um, this morning. Um, the biggest picture that I had, um, uh, I was thinking about ministry time today, is um, uh, that idea of just positioning ourselves underneath the, the shower of God's grace and his kindness. Um, I was actually just even praying this morning and uh, that whole thought of just, oh, just like, that's the place of life. That's the place of life. And then I started to do some of my devotional reading, and the scripture from Ephesians 1 was what came up in my reading, and it said the exact same thing about God showering on us his grace and his kindness. And so maybe the invitation for prayer this morning is simply like, where do you need to just put yourself under that shower? <laughs> where do you need to just position yourself underneath that constant outflow of God's grace and his power and just allow himself, allow him to do what only he can do. Uh, one more specific thing. I, I did feel as I was praying for this week that there are a number of folks that, um, that like you are your worst own enemy, your own worst enemy, where like you've spent a lot of time just kind of beating yourself on the inside, self-condemnation, you know, uh, like your judgment is really towards turn yourself. And I think God just wants to bring just a number of people, just real freedom in that. Where you can just know God loves you. He is for you. He's done everything through Jesus to make you acceptable in his sight. It is not your job to fix yourself. <laughs> and so just to give yourself that grace to, to receive from him and uh, to... Uh, uh, to, to just take in all that he has for you. Um, these folks would love to pray for you about anything, so whatever you got going on this morning, come on up. Um, even just position yourself in worship to receive God's grace. Uh, whatever the case is, let's continue to engage with God to receive all that he has for us. Thanks for